Two young children were talking to each other about parent problems one day. One of them complained to the other saying, first they teach you to talk, then they teach you to walk. And as soon as you learn to do both, they tell you to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? In the book, The Power of a Praying Parent, Stormy O'Martian begins the book sounding like Dickens. She writes, it's the best of jobs, it's the most difficult job. It can bring you the greatest joy. It can cause the greatest pain. There's nothing as fulfilling and exhilarating. There's nothing so depleting and exhausting. No area of your life can make you feel more like a success when everything is going well. No area of your life can make you feel more like a failure when things go wrong. Mom and dads, how many of you can relate to that, right? There's nothing else on this earth like being a parent. You talk and plan about when is the right time to have children. Your children are born and they're, they're the most adorable things in the world, right? They're cute, they're lovable, right? And they're even cute at 3 a.m. when they want to be fed. But then something happens years later that changes their cuteness they become teenagers, right? I mean, you love them at three in the morning and then they turn teenagers and you're like, go to bed, right? There are so many joys in being a parent, but like Stormy O'Martian said, there are some heartaches that come along too. It's one of the most difficult jobs that we will ever have, but it's also one of the most rewarding ones that we'll ever have. We got home yesterday after spending the past week in Houston, Texas with our fine arts students. And as you saw, we, we have some very gifted and talented students that God has given us. And we had a tremendous time watching our students just pursue God, not just during their performances, but pursue God during the services. And it was great to see. During the summer, I find that my schedule can fill up pretty fast with camps, National Fine Arts, Cedar Point, all the other events that we find ourselves doing. It can get pretty exhausting. But when we find ourselves doing the very thing that we love, we seem to find the strength, the energy, the passion the, that will push us through our tiredness and that we're able to keep going. You see, you'll always find time to do the things that you love. You'll always be able to make the time to do the things that you really want to do. You'll always be able to do the things and make the time for the things that you value. But when we find ourselves doing the very thing that we love, it, it's an enjoyment, isn't it? See, our values are important to us. Our values control our life. See, our values affect every aspect of who we are in our life. They, they affect our stress levels. When our values are unclear, there's, there's confusion in our life. And when our values are in conflict, it becomes, very, it becomes very clear what is important and what isn't important. Right? And the result... It, is stress in our lives. 
See, our values not only control stress, they also control our success levels. See, when our values, when our values are important to us, and when we make the decisions that are based upon what we value, what we're doing is we're filtering all those decisions based upon what's important, what we value in life. And when your values are right, it will lead to success, it will lead to growth, it will lead to development. But when our values are wrong, when they're in conflict, we'll be frustrated and, and eventually we'll, we'll crash and burn. See, what you think is important in life and what you value not only affects stress, it affects our success. See, our lives can get busy, our schedules can quickly fill up, but it seems that we can always find time to do the things that we really enjoy, the things that we value. One of the things I value the most is, is my family. I make family a priority in my life, and, and they respond to it. When I walk into the house after coming home from church, Ella will come screaming, Daddy, and come running and give me a great big hug. It's one of the things I value. It's, it's important that I show my kids I value them. It's important that they see it. Another area in my life that holds tremendous value is our students. As much as they tire me out, I love them. I love seeing them go after God. And so this morning, I want to give you a glimpse of what elevation is and what God wants to do in our students' lives. And you may not have kids or your children may have already grown up and are no longer part of the youth ministry, but I believe that there's principles in this message that carry over for each and every one of us. And so will you stand with me this morning in honor of reading the Word of God? It's found in Philippians 2, starting in verse 2. Our students that are in National Fine Arts will know this passage. It was our theme for the week. It says this, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the parents, the grandparents that are represented here in this room. God, the years on their life, the experiences that they've experienced, the passion that they have for you. And God, as we look at being better together, I pray, Lord, may we glean from your word today how we can come together. And God, as we put others before ourselves, as we look out for others' interests, God, as we work together, God, we can see this next generation, we can see our students succeed. And so, God, I pray this morning, may you just speak to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There is an initiative in the Michigan Youth Ministries that, that started with the simple slogan, Better Together. That when we come together and, and work together with one mind and purpose, that we'll be better together. And so this morning, I want us to look at how you and I can come along and partner together to work together, be better together, and help our students succeed this coming school year. 
So first in your notes, I said what our students need is for you and I to be models and mentors. Our students need models and mentors in their lives. Individuals that will influence them, guide them, direct them, that will speak into their lives. See, we are surrounded by all kinds of famous people who are literally role models for millions of people across our nation. They model an attractive, a successful lifestyle. They have big houses, expensive cars, lots of money. There are many people who would love to be just like them. There are millions of people who literally make these celebrities their role models. I remember growing up, there was a a Nike commercial with Charles Barkley, and he said this. He said, I'm not a role model. And he was telling the people that he didn't sign up to be a role model. He just wanted to play basketball. That he didn't care what his fans thought of him, what the people that were looking up to him thought about him. He just wanted to play basketball. He liked his money. He liked his fans. He just didn't want to be held to the pressure of a higher standard. He ignored the fact that his high visibility made it necessary for him to behave with an understanding that millions of young people were looking and watching his every move. You and I, we may not have millions of people watching us, but we do have some very important people watching us. Our children, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family. See, every person is influencing somebody. We are a model and a role model to somebody. Sociologists tell us that the most introverted of people will influence 10,000 others in an average lifespan. You are modeling to 10,000 people your life. See, every one of us is modeling to somebody, whether it's a good example, whether we're being a good model or a negative model, regardless, we are all influencing others. While we were in Houston, one of our former students from our first youth ministry shot me a text and asked if we were going to be in town. I said, yeah, and he was going to be there. And so our schedules just worked so that we could have dinner together. And we sat and we talked and some of our students got to meet him. And, and it was great to, to hear him and catch up with him and hear how he's now serving in a youth ministry as a youth pastor. And what you have to understand was this This child, right, this student was one of the quiet ones, was one of the ones that just sat off to the side. He was the complete opposite of his older brothers. His older brothers were the outgoing, the the individuals that would go up to anybody and everybody and say hi and hang out and talk. He just sat there. You talked to him and you said you would get this. Good. Fine. You like your teenager, right? And as we talked and we sat in our conversation, he, he just shared about the things that we had done in the past that had an influence in his life that brought him to where he was today. And I sat there and I thought, wow, the little things matter. Is your life worthy of being imitated? Because people are following you. People are watching you. The athletes, the entertainers, the celebrities, 
They're influencing our children, whether we like it or not, whether we like who they are or what they have to say, they are role models to our students. And that's why God has called us to be role models to a world that is often drawn to following others. He needs us. See, teenagers need other adults besides their parents, someone that will come alongside, that will listen to them, that will offer biblical advice, that will offer encouragement. See, encourage your children to develop relationships with Christian neighbors or or people from the congregation here, to develop a good, healthy relationship with their youth pastor, right? Other youth leaders that will that will love them, that will invest into their lives. If your child will clam up and not want to talk with you, get them involved with others so that they can talk with other adults, so that they can model and influence them. See, we need to develop a network of significant adults that will model and mentor our students. Titus 2.4 says these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. See, it's not just the, the parents that need to invest into their children. It's you and I. It's the older men investing and teaching the younger men how to live a life of respect. It's the older women needing to pour into our younger women. See, of course, as the parent, you are called to be the primary spiritual mentor of your own child, but they also need other godly adults. It's important for your son or your daughter to see that being a passionate follower of Christ is more than just mom and dad's belief system. They need to have models and mentors that reinforce all the spiritual truths that they're learning from you. It's important to have a faith worth following. And you don't have to be perfect, but your faith needs to be genuine. And so live a life of credibility. Live a life of credibility. 1 Corinthians 11 one says, you must follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In our personal relationships, people want credibility. They want authenticity. And our students need people in their lives that deeply care about them, that will invest into their lives. See, a mentor is giving someone a brain to pick, an ear to listen, and a push in the right direction. The Uncommon Individual Foundation, it's an organization devoted to mentoring, research, and training. This is what they reported, that mentoring is the third most powerful relationship for influencing human behavior after marriage and the extended family. Having someone that will influence them from a godly perspective. They have identified three things people need to succeed. A dream, someone who believes in them, and determination. If we want to see our students succeed, we need to come alongside them and let them know we believe in them. We need to show it to them and not just tell them. See, we seem to forget just how powerful it is when someone believes in us, when someone comes along and mentors and models. And that's what mentors do. It's vital that our students have a godly mentor that will help them make good, sound decisions. See, what can you do to be a mentor? Just ask thought-provoking questions. 
not open-ended questions like, how was your day? Because as a parent, you know the answer to that. It's fine, right? And that's all you'll get. Good. Ask questions like, what's going on in your life right now? How are you doing in? What has God been speaking to you about? See, as a mentor, you learn to hold up a mirror because mentors are like mirrors. They help others see what's preventing them from being what God wants them to be. And how you approach them makes all the difference in the world. You don't attack their character, but you just hold up a mirror and you just ask, do you like what you see? Do you like who you're becoming? Building trust in a relationship, it takes time, it takes energy. They need to know that you care. They, they need to have that, that trust cultivated in that relationship. They need to know that you are concerned for them, that you want what's best for them, and then they'll be more inclined to accept your correction when you hold up a mirror. See, mentors, they offer perspective in life. By virtue of our extra years that we have lived, we have something different than the person we're mentoring has. We have experience. We have gone through some things that they have not gone through yet. We may have repeated those things over and over again and have more experience than others because we just like it so much we want to keep doing it over and over again for some reason. We have experience. We can share with them what we've gone through. We can share how it's affected us. We can share how the, we came through and dealt with it. We can share how, how we made the decisions that we did. We can share the consequences it brought us. We share how it's changed us. See, we offer that different perspective because... Sometimes we just get tunnel vision. We stay focused on one little thing, and we don't see all the other things, right? And so we need someone to come alongside of us that will be able to talk and offer up a different perspective. So not only do students need models and mentors, but students need meaningful community. Our students need a place where they can fit in with peers, where there's no pressure where they can just be themselves. The best place for them to find that is in a group of passionate followers of Christ. People who love God, who will exhibit grace, who will exhibit mercy to them. See, in the age of bullying, gossip, slander, hatefulness, right, which can destroy a teenager's self-identity, our students need young people who can lift them up, who will encourage them, who will challenge them in all the right ways. As a student walks through the hallways of their school, they're going to definitely feel like a minority. They're, they're going to sit there and say, you know what? What I have been taught and what my friends say are two different things. They are in direct contrast of each other. They need mentors that will come alongside them. They'll walk with them, but they need peers that will help them as well. See, our youth ministry is a place where teenagers can build community with each other. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, We must also consider how to encourage each other to show love and to do good things. We should not, we should not stop gathering together with other believers, as some of you are doing, 
Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day of the Lord coming. This was written 2,000 years ago, so the day of the Lord is coming even quicker now. So, But this is being better together. Building community only happens when we are connecting with each other. Building community happens when we come together. And the early church struggled with the same things we do today, but the message here is clear. We need each other. We need each other. When we show up on Sundays and on Wednesdays, we are building community with each other. And so on Wednesdays during Elevation, we're trying to build community by creating an atmosphere where everyone feels welcome, where when they walk in through those doors, they can be themselves. They don't have to pretend to be someone that they're not. We want to create a positive environment where they can find encouragement instead of being torn down because they hear enough of it. Students hear it at home. They hear it in their schools. They don't need to hear it from us. And so we want to create a positive environment for them. We want to build community by creating an element of fun. Having a good time at church is one of the most powerful ways to shatter the stereotype that church is boring. If you were with us in those services this past week in Houston, it was anything but boring. There was humor, laughter, even in the message when, when they, we had the interpreter going on. Throughout the month of May, we, we do something that we call Made Madness, where it's just a month-long outreach to their friends, where the winning team gets to go to Cedar Point for free. And we'll do some crazy games. We'll do some fun games. We'll do some games that may not be fun, but I think it's funny. And we incorporate some kind of relational element to each and every one of the services because, let's face it, we are relational people, and we want to have fun. Building fun creates community. We build community by creating student involvement. There's nothing that creates community quicker than getting people involved. So we encourage our students to be involved. We encourage you to be involved. Greet students. We encourage our students to lead ministries, to help plan our events, but to be involved. Having our students engage in, in a healthy community should be a spiritual habit that we help our students develop. When I think about how our students can create meaningful community with others, small groups is just the the thing that comes right to my mind. And we're going to be starting our small groups up in a couple weeks when school starts back up, but I just want to encourage each and every one of you, whether it's student or adult, like, get plugged into a small group. If you don't have one yet, you can see Pastor Rick or go back to the crossing, and we have a list of small groups. But we want to encourage, attend small groups. Students, attend our small groups. I've shared with you before, I love small groups, and our own kids love small groups. They love having our students over, and they want them over all the time. We just can't afford feeding them all the time. And when it comes to helping students develop meaningful community with each other, I think small groups is pretty obvious the first step. In small groups, students are given an opportunity to to grow closer with their friends, to draw closer with us as leaders, to, to grow closer. 
and build a stronger community with people who believe like they do. See, we gather together to eat. That brings community. We gather together and have fun. We, we learn to grow in our faith. This past year, we've been talking about living on purpose, and we've had some great conversations about what it means to, to live a life of worship. How do we live a life of worship? Because it's not just here on Sundays and Wednesdays that we worship God. We worship God with every aspect of our life. We've talked about how we can share our faith, how to have a relationship with Christ, the importance of fellowshipping together and building community with each other. See, small groups are all about building community by connecting you with God and with others so that you can grow in your faith. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And when I read this passage, I said, you know what, that's small groups. That in small groups, we become family. We, we love each other so much that not only do we just do a lesson to grow in our faith, but we share who we are. We share our lives because we love each other. See, in small groups, you can become known. You become known. I, I love to go to sports events. And I think one of the best places to ever watch a, a football game is at the big house, the Michigan Stadium. And it's just an incredible time to go and watch a football game with 110,000 other people who are just screaming. And, but the problem is when you're there, the only person that knows you is the person sitting next to you. The people two sections down, the people across the stadium, they have no idea who I am. They don't know my name. They don't know what I'm going through. But in small groups, your friends, your leaders, they get to know you. They get to know the real you. And you know what the beauty of it is? Just like this verse says, we loved you so much. We love the real you. Your faults, your mistakes, the good, the bad, the ugly. We love the real you. And you get to know the real you. You're not just another number. You're not just another face in the crowd like you are at a sporting event. You are family. You become close friends. See, in small groups, you can be vocal, right? You come to small group, you get to express your thoughts, you get to express your opinions, you get to express what's going on in your life. You get to share. It's an opportunity for you to be able to open up, talk, and tell others what you're struggling with. Tell others your victories, how God answered prayer. You get to talk, you get to share, people get to know you. In small groups, we encourage accountability. When you have someone in your life that will hold you accountable, it will keep your faith thriving. The problem is that so often we're just barely surviving where God wants us to thrive in our spiritual life. See, all too often we find ourselves just going through the, the motions and routine in our faith 
Yet when we're held accountable in our faith, we can thrive. We can have a passion and excitement because there's others to help encourage us. There's others who will help challenge you to keep going, to keep pushing. There's others that will keep asking you, how are you doing? They're there, and they see what you don't see. See, small group is not about just attending another service or going to another meeting. It's about getting together with family. You become family. It's about allowing yourself to be open and honest, sharing your feelings, sharing your frustrations, being real. It's a place where your faith can become real and personalized. It's a time where we can get together with those that believe in us and want to see us thrive in our relationship with Christ. See, not only do students need a meaningful community, but they also need for their faith to make sense. They need for their faith to make sense. Youth ministry is a place where students get to ask the tough questions. They get to talk about their doubts. They get to talk about their struggles with their beliefs. There have been times where I've been talking with a student and in the midst of our conversation, we just talk and their faith gets brought up and begin to ask about what's going on in their faith and how they're doing. And they just open up and they begin to share and become open and honest and reveal their struggles. And they may say, you know what, I'm, I'm really questioning what I believe. I don't know if God really does exist. They begin to question and share their struggles on a particular issue. And it amazes me that when I tell them that it's okay to wrestle with that, it's okay to, to grapple with your faith, that it's okay to question the, the relief that comes across their faith when they realize that they're not the only ones that struggle with this, that it's okay. See, during the transition from childhood to adulthood, teenagers are going to wrestle with everything that they've been taught. They're going to question everything that you as parents have taught them. They're going to question the things that their pastors have taught them. They're going to ask questions like, what do I really believe? Do I believe what my parents have been saying all these years? Do I believe what my pastors have been preaching all these years? See, there's a story in the Bible about a father who brought his son to Jesus to be healed. And the man asked Jesus to help them if he possibly could. And in Mark 9, verse 23, it says, this is Jesus' response. He says, everything is possible for the person who has faith. And the father at once cried out, I do have faith, but not enough. Help me have more. And doesn't that sound like us sometimes? We believe that God exists, Right? We believe that God can do anything. We believe that God heals, and that's why we pray. But sometimes we're kind of like this father. Would God really heal me? I know he heals, but I don't know if he'd heal me. How about our own kids? They've heard the stories growing up in church and how Daniel was thrown in the lion's den how Jonah was swallowed by a whale, and how God has helped these individuals in crazy times, right? How Jesus healed everyone, how Jesus died and rose again. 
And where does that leave us? We believe it, but there's times where our faith just doesn't feel like it's enough. Students need to be able to wrestle through the theology that you've been teaching them all these years. They need to hear it reinforced on Wednesday nights during elevation because we lay a solid foundation of biblical truth for them. There have been times where after we dismiss on Wednesdays in elevation where a student will come up to me and they'll ask me a question about what I was sharing that night and, and they may begin to, to talk and share how that's pertaining in their life on how they're questioning that or maybe how their parents have been talking to them about that subject. And it just gives me another opportunity to sit down with them and talk with them and say, well, what does the Bible have to say about it? Let's look at that first. And then ask the students some pointed questions that causes them to think, that causes them to ask themselves, what must I do? That makes them come to a conclusion of what they need to do. See, when we gather for Elevation on Wednesdays, our students are given the opportunity to grapple with what they've been taught, to wrestle with it, and see how they want to live. They're given the opportunity to hear from another person what you've been teaching them. Students need for their faith to make sense for them. And what makes sense to you doesn't always make sense to them. Just like what makes sense to them doesn't make sense to you. There's times where your child will do something and you have no clue where they came from, right? And you're like, I don't get you. But their friends are all looking at him, giving him high fives, saying, I get it, right? They understand. Just because our faith makes sense to us doesn't mean it makes sense to them. And that's the beauty of these services we were at this past week, worshiping God, students worshiping. It may not make sense to the older generation why they keep singing that song over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, but it makes sense to them. And as long as they're going after God, that's all that matters. Let them keep singing that same word over and over and over and over and over, as long as they keep taking another step closer to Jesus. Because as long as they're going in the right direction, that's all that matters. See, we need to provide for them experiences where they can wrestle explore a deeper understanding of their faith. I want you to think, when and where did you first encounter God? Maybe it was here in a Sunday service like we are today. For me, I remember it was a small church standing in a pew when I was 19 years old where I encountered God. Group magazine surveyed young adults and found out that for them, it was in camps, trips, and extended times together that most of them encountered God. So not only is it important for our students to be coming consistently to elevation, it's important for them to go on events like fine arts, youth convention, camps. It's important for them to, to go out and do these things and, and experience these things because this is where they're experiencing God. And if you're thinking, you know what, money is an issue, come talk to me and I will find a way to get your child to go to those events. We'll bottle drive, we'll shake people down for money. We have some generous people here and we thank you for investing into our students' lives. But don't let money be an issue to hinder them 
from their relationship with Christ. See, this summer I had an incredible time at our high school senior high camp. It was fun. They did some crazy games, some fun games. Services were more powerful, though. It was great to see what God was doing. And the thing I love about camps is I get to just hang out with the students and just talk. The younger group leaders get to have all the fun and play the games that where they're going to get hurt and everything. And I just hang back and I just have conversations. We hang out at the tables during meals and just talk. We, we talk after the services and ask questions like, what do you think of the service tonight? What has God been speaking to you? And it's in those conversations, all of a sudden you begin to hear what God is doing in their lives. It's important to have those conversations, parents. It was great talking with students about their faith. One student in our group shared that he was going to be a youth pastor, and I said, awesome. I said, all right, well, what are you going to do next? What do you mean? What are you going to do now? Huh? Why don't you start getting prepared now? Here's some things you can start doing. And we just talked, and it was great. I met him for the first time that Monday. And we talked. I asked one of our students what camp did for him, and he said this, that he felt that his faith was slipping a little bit and that camp helped him to get his priorities straight and refocus his relationship with God. See, camp can be an incredible experience for people. It can be an exciting time. After one of the camp services, I was talking with another one of our students, and they shared how they just didn't feel God how they wanted to. And maybe you and I have been there before. I know I have, where I just didn't feel God like I used to. And where is God, right? How come I'm not feeling him like I am now? And, and it was a great opportunity to just sit down with a student and just talk about, you know what? Just because we don't feel him doesn't mean he's not there. That we don't base our relationship with Christ on our emotions or on our feelings. That even though we may not feel him or think that he's with us, he's always there because he promised to always be with us. And that's what it says in Matthew 28, 20. I will be with you as you do this day after day after day right up to the end of the age. He is always with us, whether we feel him or not. He's always right alongside of us. And that's something students need to understand, that when they're going through a tough time in life, that God is still there. When they don't feel him, he is still there. That even though they may not sense him, he is still there. God is with us day after day after day after day after day. See, when students wrestle with their faith, when they try to make sense out of it, it increases their resolve, it increases their conviction. When they find themselves on the other side of, of that wrestling match, when they find themselves going through it, they find themselves stronger in their faith because of it. See, it requires them to ask the questions, is this true? Is what I've been told true? All these things my parents have been talking about, all these things my pastors have been preaching about, is it true? And they'll ask that question, and they'll wrestle with it. And when they find out, yes, it is, they'll be stronger for it. 
they'll ask themselves, is it really worth it? Is it worth to being a passionate follower of Christ? And they'll wrestle with it. Because I remember when I gave my life to Christ, that was the question I asked myself. Is this something I really want to do? Is it worth it? Because I counted the cost. I knew what it was going to cost me. I was going to have to give up some things. And was it worth it? The answer is yes, it is. And when they ask themselves these questions and wrestle with it, they're going to find out that their faith makes sense in the end. They're going to find out that it does. See, we can be better together when we model and mentor what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ to our students. When we show them what it means to passionately follow after God, to live for Him every day, not just on Sundays, every day. Model prayer to them. Let them see you praying. Let them see you praying for them. Ask them if they want to join with you in prayer. If they say no, that's fine. But model it to them. See, we can be better together when we help them discover meaningful community. Coming together, encouraging them to join us on Wednesdays at Elevation, to come to small groups, to build relationship with one another, to build relationships with their friends. We become better together when we become family. See, we can become better together when we discover our faith makes sense. Have conversations with your children about their faith. Have conversations with them about what they're struggling with. Let them know that you struggled with it too. That it's nothing new. Share with them your struggles. Let them see authenticity. Have them attend our fine arts, our youth conventions, our camps, our services that, that are going to challenge them. Because it's in those moments where they're worshiping God or they're hearing a message preached that God will reach down and grab a hold of their heart. And all of a sudden, all the words that you've been talking to them about, all the sermons that they have heard year after year, all of a sudden, it's just going to click. It's just going to click. I remember having a conversation with our students years ago talking about how it's not about them. It only matters what God thinks. In the middle of a camp service, during the altar time, one of the students who's just stood back the whole week, arms folded during worship, all of a sudden started lifting his hands to God and went down to the altar. And in a conversation after the service, I had with him, asking, what did you think of the service? He said, you know, I was sitting there thinking. Everything was going on, and all of a sudden the thought hit me. It's not about you. It's about me. And he said, I felt God just speak that to me. And his life was changed in that moment. He loved God before. But all of a sudden, that day forward, his life was changed. His faith made sense. And so let's encourage our students this year 
and let's be better together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for godly parents and godly grandparents here in this room. Individuals that have modeled, that have mentored, that have taught their children and their grandchildren what it means to serve you passionately, what it means to follow after you through the good times and the bad times. God, that their children have witnessed them being faithful day after day. And God, we may never be perfect, but God, you want us to just have a genuine faith. And so God, I pray like the man that wanted his son to be healed. I have faith, but give me more. I pray that for each and every one of us here today. God, may you give us more faith. God, may we model to our students. May we, we be mentors to our students of what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ. May they know that there are people that care about them, that love them, that want to see them succeed, and that will invest into their lives. God, may we help our students to have healthy community with their friends, that we'll encourage them to, to go and find passionate followers of Christ, and that they'll have, Lord, that relationship, whether it's in small groups, whether they do a Bible study at their school. God, will they'll be able to gather together with other students who believe like they do, that will encourage them. God, may we model that to our children, that it's important, it's vital for us to be in healthy community with one another. God, may we show up on Sundays and Wednesdays. And Father, may we, God, be there for our students. God, when they wrestle with their faith, to help them to make sense of it. May we be able to just talk with them and let them know our own struggles that we have gone through. May they see it in our own lives. May they know, God, that it's okay. It's okay to wrestle with it. It's okay to, to ask questions. Because when we do that, we'll find ourselves stronger in our faith when we get through to the other side. And so, God, I pray, help us to be better together to help our students in this next generation to be passionate followers of Christ. You may be here this morning and you're an individual that is just struggling this morning to make sense of your faith. You came in here and you're wondering, is it worth it? Does God really exist? Why do I need him in my life? And throughout the course of this morning service, God has just been speaking to your heart. And maybe like one of our former students that said, it's not about me, it's all about him. Maybe you've come to that realization this morning. And you want to invite Jesus into your life and cross that line of faith and begin a relationship with him. Will you pray this prayer along with me? You don't have to pray it out loud, but 
Just pray along with me. Jesus, though I don't understand it all, this morning I do understand I need you. And I thank you for dying on a cross for me. I thank you that you love me so much, just like we sang in that song. God, there is no mountain, there is no darkness that you won't light up to find me and pursue me. I thank you for what you did on the cross to die for me so that I can be forgiven of all my sins and mistakes that I've made. And I ask that you would come into my life this morning. Forgive me of everything. And God, I ask that you would help me to live for you each and every day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.